in discussing the political history of the United States, uh, there is a, a an area that is often overlooked, and that is the ideological evolution that occurred, uh, named Calhounism, uh, and for good reason. It was uh, structured after the principal arguments uh, put forth by a man named John C. Calhoun, who was uh, one of the most influential statesmen uh, of the 19th century, uh, at least early on. Uh, he was a very gifted orator. He was uh, the principal fire eater, a group of uh, fanatical pro-slavery de Southern Democrats. Uh, and he was not a very uh, good man uh, by, by any real moral or ethical standards. Uh, although at the time he was a hero among those who uh, pushed for slavery. Uh, he was a founding member of the Democrat Party, um, and he shaped and molded uh, really the governing philosophy of the party, uh, arguably up until uh, the Reconstruction era or even later. So Calhounism is the name attributed to this group of ideals that he expressed. And what's, what's vital about Calhounism is it took the founding era understanding of slavery as a necessary evil meant to be restricted and then with the slave trade effectively prohibited it was doomed to its ultimate extinction uh, this was a universal acknowledgement it was the uh, it was the opinion in, in the public square uh, it was slavery was a a transplanted evil force on them from Britain uh, and it was really only influential in, in a couple states at the time, uh, Georgia and South Carolina primarily. However, uh, this changed very drastically. Uh, so Calhounism itself actually altered this, the public and political understanding of what slavery was and changed it from a necessary evil into a divine right. Um, slavery became... Uh, intermixed with con with uh, earlier uh, concepts of white supremacy, uh, and of course that formed uh, the ideological foundations of the Democrat Party uh, at the time and for <laughs> about a, uh, an arguably long period afterwards. So Calhounism uh, first transformed this concept of slavery away from necessary evil that was kind of transplanted from a mother nation and that had pre-existed as a human uh, institution for thousands of years prior. And so the, with the understanding that the nation was founded in a, a new type of a culmination of enlightenment thought and, and human experimentation, it was thought that it would ultimately just kind of diminish on its own. Uh, Calhounism changed that. Uh, not only should uh, was slavery a divine thing, but it was justified in religion, in science, uh, and philosophy. Uh, another one of the tenets of the founding era was that slavery was meant to be restricted, uh, that the federal government had the authority to restrict slavery in any new territory. Uh, that was most obviously uh, demonstrated in the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, authored, of course, by Thomas Jefferson, and lamented by John C. Calhoun, who considered that ordinance to be an immoral extension of the grieve, grievous error that was the Declaration and its idea of human equality. 
Uh, now, under Calhoutianism, uh, slavery necessitated expansion. So slave expansionism became one of the guiding principles of the emergent Democrat Party as well, uh, which resulted in a, a series of uh, conspiracies and political subterfuge, uh, a war with Mexico, uh, attempts to buy Cuba, uh, and other such things. And the intent was to expand territory uh, that could be slave territory. And, of course, this resulted in uh, abject violence and political terrorism in uh, the events called Bleeding Kansas uh, that arose as a consequence of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, uh, which Bleeding Kansas will most certainly be addressed uh, specifically later on, uh, and especially for its kind of anti-hero champion, John Brown. So Calhounism also introduced elements of German philosophical thought. Uh, Calhoun really invented the idea of identity politics as it applied uh, to the United States, though he took uh, this kind of German or really French idea, if you look at the Babubis, of the oppressor and the oppressed paradigm, and he applied that to the South, not to the oppression of slaves, of course, uh, but to the tyranny of northern free states and really all those opposed to slavery uh, really Calhoun is is he satisfies kind of the popular trope of that southern gentleman quick to temper uh, you know ruled by passions more so than reason although unfortunately he was successful uh, very successful wielding reason to his own advantage and for that of uh, you know, the expansion of slavery and protection of slavery. Um, so he, uh, he introduced this, con this, this conflict, and why this is so important is, although the, there had always existed uh, a difference of opinion, let's say, on slavery, and you can, uh, the, the debates surrounding the Declaration highlight this very clearly, uh, they lacked a lot of the vitriol and the animus that later came, uh, similar to attempts to first uh, malign the Foundian Declaration to advance slavery, and then later to uh, revise uh, and pervert these founding ideas in defense of slavery uh, by uh, Stephen Douglas. Uh, Calhoun introduced this conflict where any attempt to control or restrict slavery or really even any, any uh, thought or argument against slavery was violence. Uh, and of course, that has obvious applications at the present day. Uh, but, but even then, uh, you could see how this, this elevated the political temperature. And this was essential because in the South, uh, a majority of, a great majority of, of uh, whites did not own slaves. And a great majority of whites were uneducated and illiterate. Uh, the term uh, white trash actually originates with as a pejorative term applied to this massive group of whites, you know, there's kind of this this kind of uh, weird understanding that the slave was, or that the South was just populated with with uh, slave owners, and that's very much not true. Uh, depending on the time period, uh, the real big slave owners, a hundred more slaves, were often less than one percent of the population. By 1860, over a little over 76% of all Southern whites owned zero slaves. Uh, 
So it was not a ubiquitous uh, institution in the South. So because uh, the the slave holding kind of master class, they since they were in, in such a minority, we'll say twenty five percent just to be uh, just to be generous, that necessitated means of controlling the rest of the masses so that they could maintain power, and Calhoutenism helped satisfy that. Um, this he convinced the rest of the Southern whites that they were in a struggle, you know, straight out of Marx's playbook. Uh, although, in Calhoun's case, it was out of Engels' playbook. And keeping the population whipped up in this kind of political frenzy over this alleged, invented, fabricated conflict, uh, he was able to secure their loyalty. Um, if you consider how many Southerners died in the Civil War to protect and expand slavery, and they owned no slaves themselves, while they had been successfully indoctrinated by the ruling elites who controlled and restricted education, uh, to the point, actually, of uh, burning federal postage uh, centers to the ground, postal offices. Uh, That was actually sanctioned by Democrat Andrew Jackson and Adam Kendall, who was a Democrat operative as postmaster general at the time. So... You have this this emergent ideology that is custom designed with the extent or the, the explicit purpose of expanding slavery, protecting slavery at the federal level, and redefining slavery away from a moral ill to a moral obligation. Uh, you had within Calhounism this larger argument. Uh, that came to be referred to as the positive good, which it's generally considered to be kind of a, a newly emergent philosophy at the time, but it really was not. Uh, instead, uh, it was, well, the slave institution, the master-slave relationship, is the best way for blacks to live, this theory posits. Uh, they are civilized, they're proselytized, you know, they're exposed to culture and everything else. Uh, they live a much better life, you know, Calhoun and others said, th- as slaves, where they can never enjoy that on their own. And that's that's also where this argument emerged that it was uh, actually better to be a slave in the South than to be a free laborer in the North. Uh, and there's lots of very interesting interplay that goes on here, uh, including uh, the influx of Fabian socialism already early in the, early in the nation. Uh, which, as one might suspect, found uh, pretty fertile soil in the Democrat Party at the time as well, uh, largely because slavery was treated as a solution to income inequality. Yep, uh, that was the original application of socialism in the United States, was as a tool to justify slavery as a positive good. Uh, so you had that argument that also began to permeate kind of the, the, the social political sphere. And what that created was, well, if you were against slavery, well, you were actually in favor of a worse life for Africans. Uh, so it was an attempt to really distort reality in order to gain kind of a, a sense of moral superiority or moral high ground. Uh, also emergent during this time, and largely because of Calhounism and its oppressor-oppressed paradigm, was this idea of the irrepressible conflict. 
And what this did is, is this whole idea was just kind of putting a, a phrase to describe uh, kind of a national sentiment that what it had originally kind of been an amicable disagreement, uh, you know, 11 out of 13 uh, colonies at the signing of the declaration were willing to, to codify uh, abolition uh, in that document. Only two states refused, of course, South Carolina and Georgia, and that prevented it from being adopted into the final measures. But that was a conflict born of what they felt was Southern necessity at the time. There was no such type of uh, good-natured sportsmanship at this period. Uh, and that was required, actually, because of the Declaration. All of a sudden, uh, you had a, the first nation that ever ever been founded on ideas of universal human equality. And then you had a group of people who rejected that notion because they were white supremacists or European supremacists, if you're Stephen Douglas and you're running for president as a Democrat in 1860. Uh, and so you have to create a type of counter-ideology or a counter-culture to those ideas for the purpose of sustaining kind of this, this uh, you know, marks of the master class uh, kind of thing to, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from the late, great Harry Jaffa. So, Calhounism really set the country on course for the Civil War uh, by destroying any potential, really, of a political uh, solution to the, to the slave dilemma, although many attempts were made in the subsequent years, multiple compromises, uh, including disastrous effects with, with direct democracy in new territories. But the, the, the great thing to, to understand about Calhounism is that it was an utter perversion of the founding doctrine. It was created to combat the founding doctrine. Uh, so, at least in a, you know, with the convenience of historical hindsight, it does serve uh, a useful advantage in providing a foil to the Declaration, the Constitution, uh, the, kind of the, the founding era, understanding what slavery was and how slavery should be addressed. Uh, you know, f we went from on a course of its ultimate distinction to we should have constitutional amendments that protect it forever. Uh, and this was especially evidenced with the uh, after the southern states, Democrat states, finally seceded. And in so doing, the first order of business was to rewrite their own founding documents. And in those documents, they did, in a literal sense, enshrine the right to property in human beings and use racially charged words to specifically create white supremacy. So their nation, the Democratic Confederate States, were legitimately founded as a nation premised on slavery and white supremacy, which is kind of a point of hilarity because that is incorrectly attributed to the real United States, which creates kind of a strange conundrum because there would be no, no need to branch off and create a nation founded on slavery and white supremacy if you're breaking away from a country that's founded on racism and white supremacy. Uh, so in many respects, the actions of the Democrat Party during this time uh, really just kind of undergird and support uh, prior notions that uh, the, the founding, the Declaration, the Constitution, other things um, were very powerful anti-slavery uh, documents and ideas. So Calhounism uh, ultimately set the course for 
uh, the Civil War. And it should be understood that Calhounism was the governing philosophy of the Democrat Party. Uh, we, this was evidenced in uh, the Stephen Douglas debates where Douglas, who by uh, most conceptions at the time was a moderate Northern Democrat, um, he stated that when the Declaration wrote about all men being created equal, it wasn't just white men. He took it a step further and said all white European men. Uh, so I guess if, you know, if you're Irish, you need not apply, which was a logical uh, progression of that idea. So Calhounism, uh, it, it changed the political landscape of the country forever. And what you'll see uh, in later episodes is that a lot of these Calhounist ideas just began to, to be gently modified and never truly left the, uh, the philosophy, the political philosophy of the Democrat Party, uh, especially with its embrace of the oppressor-oppressed paradigm and also of uh, white supremacy and using uh, a ignorance or a compelled ignorance and as a tool of controlling large populations of individuals, keeping them stirred up only through uh, deeply emotive appeals to passion uh, in, and also through tight regulation of, of uh, communications and information. Uh, you know, there, it was uh, Andrew Jackson and his, his administration that burned abolitionist pamphlets. They burned, uh, they prohibited Uncle Tom's Cabin from being passed or, and distributed in the South. Uh, and they, and Harriet Beecher Stowe's book was not the only one that found, uh, you know, its, its use as kindling, uh, pretty much, you know, pursuant to the policies and beliefs of Calhounism, any word written against slavery was violence. Uh, and for decades and decades, um, the Southern, the Southern uh, underclass of sorts uh, was just complete or constantly prodded in this uh, this great oppressor oppressed paradigm. So by the onset of the Civil War, uh, they were well conditioned to act as a disposable army. But Calhounism changed uh, the political landscape, and we will see how it reflects in unfolding events uh, in some further episodes. <laughs>